The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Amen. Praise the Lord. Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be reading our text this morning from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Uh, But the other scriptures in our sermon today all come from the book of Hebrews, and there's a reason for that. Uh, Right after the first of the year, I began sitting in on Mary's class on Sunday night. She's facilitating a class on inductive Bible study in Hebrews, and I told her I was going to audit her class. Now, the word audit means hear. All right, in inductive Bible study, uh, you draw pictures. I'm not a good picture drawer, all right? So I'm not drawing the pictures, but I am hearing and been blessed for it. And uh, while I was thinking about how to start a series of messages on strong faith here at the Easter season, I noticed four scriptures in Hebrews that just jumped out at me. And uh, I call this message, Four Things I Don't Know. Now, I want you to understand there are millions of things I don't know. I know some people think I'm a know-it-all. I know I'm not a know-it-all. In fact, I'm not real sure about some of the things I thought I knew. Uh, But these are four things I guarantee you when I get through preaching today, uh, you're going to understand Brother Mike doesn't know these four things. And I think if you're a a biblical Christian, you'll say you don't know these four things either. So let's stand together as we show our respect for the reading of God's word. Reading from the book of Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. This is the word of the living God. We must therefore pay even more attention to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally blinding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about, but one has somewhere testified, what is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you care for him, You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not see yet everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering in death. For in bringing many sons to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, all things exist for him and through him, should make the source of their salvation perfect through sufferings. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Now, the writer of Hebrew in, in, in this passage Uh, tells us something that uh, we don't know. He says, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? In other words, the, the writer of Hebrews, whoever he was, knew that if we neglect the salvation that is available 
through Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, if we neglect that, how can we escape? And the answer is obvious. We won't escape. There is no escape if you neglect salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Dr. Adrian Rogers said many wonderful things. One of the things he said that has stuck with me down through the years, he said, salvation is not believing something. It is receiving someone, Jesus. The wonderful thing about salvation is, is that salvation is not something that you just believe. In fact, if you just believe it with your mind, uh, you can't be saved because you have to do more than believe it with your mind. You have to believe it with your heart. You have to believe it with your life. It has to be a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. And to be honest with you, I don't know any way for a person to have eternal life and the assurance of going to heaven if they do not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one thing I don't know. And the Bible says there's no other way for men to be saved. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I know our modern society wants to be inclusive, and we want to say, well, God is going to just open the pearly gates of heaven and let everybody who's ever lived in. That is not biblical. You see, you, you can live your life according to several things. First of all, you can live your life according to the Word of God. That's what I suggest you do. Because I will tell you this, things in this world change and they don't normally change for the better. In the 65 years of life God has given me, uh, I grew up in the 50s, those were happy days. And I'm not just talking about the TV show that was called Happy Days. Those were really happy days back in the 50s. And, and then the 60s came along and America became obsessed with, with sex and drugs and, and violence, and it's been getting worse every generation since the 60s. That's what happens when men are depraved and they are not redeemed by the blood of Christ. And I don't know any better illustration of salvation than the ark. Now, I'm not saying this because I went to see the movie. I haven't gone to see the movie. I'm not real sure I will go see the movie. Uh, it's not so much I mind paying to go see the movie. It's the $40 they charge me for popcorn and a Diet Coke when I go to the movie. That's the main thing. Uh, and I'm not sure. I've read mixed reviews on, on, on the, the movie about Noah. Uh, but I want to tell you this, the Bible gives us the true story of Noah. In fact, if you turn over to Hebrews 11, you'll find Noah listed there uh, in the role called of the faithful. And it talked about how he saved his family by building an ark, and he did it by faith because when he was warned of the judgment that was to come, it hadn't even started sprinkling then. And it took Noah over 100 years to build the ark. And, and only eight souls were saved out of the entire population of the world. And it was the greatest flood the world has ever seen. Now, some folks in Pelham are nervous today because the weatherman says we may get up to five inches of rain in Pelham. And there are places in Pelham where we get five inches of rain in a short time, they know they're going to have flooding in their homes. Uh, they know that the creek can't hold everything. It backs up. And when the creek backs up, all the little tributaries that run into the creek back up. And when they back up, it has to go somewhere, and it goes in people's houses. I, I learned that very early in my ministry. I lived in Cahaba Valley Estates, and I remember very well the first year I was here. I got a call one morning, and we went down to the end of our street, and the houses that were uh, on Frontier Drive that backed up to the creek 
water was getting in those houses and some of us volunteered to go down there. I remember going into one house, they had a grand piano and the lady said, this was my grandmother's grand piano and if it gets wet, it'll rust and and I'll have to have it uh, uh, destroyed. And she said, I don't want to lose this piano. And we thought, how in the world, we can't move the piano out, it's raining outside. Uh, We can't get the piano up to the next floor of their house. Somebody had the idea that we brought in concrete blocks and we stacked concrete blocks and then a bunch of us picked up that grand piano and put it on top of those concrete blocks and the water came up and the water got about halfway up the first concrete block. And the lady called uh, one of these organizations that comes in and cleans up water damage and the last I heard, her grandmother's piano, the grand piano, was still intact. Uh, but floods are dangerous things. Uh, people lose their lives in floods. And Noah was told that a flood was coming, and God said, in fact, the first time the word grace is used in the King James Version of the Bible is when it says, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And the ark is a beautiful picture of salvation. Why? How many arks were there? There was one. There was one ark. There weren't many. Now, there were probably some other boats. You say, well, preacher, if there were other boats, why didn't other people make it besides Noah? They didn't because these were small boats. At the time the ark was built, it was the greatest engineering marvel in the ancient world. Noah and his sons built the ark. And while he was building the ark, in fact, the Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was warning everybody else that the flood is coming. Now, his warnings fell on deaf ears. You know why? Because it never had even rained in Noah's day. God built an irrigation system into the earth. You go back and read in the early chapters of Genesis when God created the world, there was a mist that came up from the ground and watered the earth. And so people in Noah's day had never even seen rain. Bible scholars tell us uh, Noah was preaching a message that was foreign to them because not only had they never seen a flood, they'd never even seen rain. That mist, like a dew, came up from the ground and watered the earth. But God said to Noah, I'm so distraught that I made man, I'm going to destroy every one of them. But he said, Noah, build an ark. Now, how many arks were there? There was one ark. And if you weren't in the ark, what happened to you? You perished. Not only was there just one ark, there was just one door into the ark. Now, some of you say, well, preacher, that doesn't make sense. Surely you don't believe. You have a college education, preacher. Surely you're smarter than to believe all the animals that are on the earth got on the ark. I want to tell you, if you ever see a scale of the ark, you'll understand it would not be difficult to bring a type of every animal. You need to study that word, every type, because it didn't mean he brought every type of dog there was. Now, there are a lot of different dogs. I have the perfect dog. I have the Labrador Retriever. They love people. They just, when, when you walk in, they just start wagging all over. They're so happy to see you. They are the most destructive animal on the face of the earth. They will tear up a concrete block. But we love our labs. But they're chihuahuas. A chihuahua is the most dangerous dog on the earth. He doesn't have many teeth, but he will bite you with them. In fact, I've been told this, there are more dog bites from chihuahuas than there are for pit bulls. I've been told that because a chihuahua, that's just his defense. He gets scared, he's going to take a nip out of you. Well, it doesn't mean that Noah carried every one of the breed of animals like dogs on the ark. He carried every type. 
And then when they got off the ark, uh, that was when the, the, the different kinds of dogs began to emerge. There have been plenty of years for that to happen. That's not evolution. Uh, that, that's just uh, breeding. Uh, you know, we have all kinds of horses. Uh, there are some horses on a farm near where Scotty and Christy live that don't come up to my knee. They're called miniature horses. Now, I guess you have to, we need to raise a miniature man to ride a miniature horse. But, but these are horses. I mean, they look like a horse and they neigh like a horse and they eat corn and grass and hay like a horse. They're horses, but they're tiny. Listen, don't worry about the facts. God has no problem making things happen. And Noah, and you say, well, how did Noah round up all the animals? Do you think that God built instinct in animals for nothing? Uh, God instinctively brought the animals to where Noah was. They instinctively got on the ark, and they spent over a year on the ark. Now, I don't know who cleaned out the bottom of the ark. I have a hunch it wasn't Noah. That may be why his three sons went along. I have two sons. If I'd been Noah, they would have been cleaning out the bottom of the ark every day. But there was only one door to get in the ark. Every, every person, every animal that went in the ark went through that one door. What a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he said, I am the door. If you get in, you have to come through me. So there was one ark, there was one door, and I love this. There was one window. You say, well, why is that important? Well, it's important because of what we just did. We worshiped. And, and you know what Noah did when they were on the ark? They were on there for over a year. Bible scholars said the flood began on the 10th of May, and Noah and his family were not allowed to get off the ark until the 22nd of May the next year. You say, why did they put that window on the ark? Because when it was raining, and when they were floating on the great deep, and by the way, how deep was it? Every mountain on earth was covered. God opened up the reservoirs of heaven and poured out all the water there, and the great deep on the earth came up to meet them, and even the snow-capped mountains today that are so high were underwater. And those, that's why we have the polar ice caps. That's why we have the Grand Canyon. All these evolutionists say, oh, well, the Grand Canyon eroded over millions and millions, maybe even billions of years. Have you ever seen what one flood will do? It was not hard for God to create the Grand Canyon with the worldwide flood. And by the way, every society in the world has a flood story. Even people that don't have the Bible have a flood story. So it's a universal thing. That's why the ark is such a wonderful picture of salvation. There was one ark, there was one door, and there was one window. You see, the most important thing we do after we're saved is worship. Let me tell you, if you're not a worshiper, if you're not a worshiper, you don't need to go to heaven. Because what we're going to do in heaven is we're going to worship God. And, and if you can't worship God, you don't have to get excited. I know, I know we have some folks that get really excited, and they're very demonstrative when we worship. And I'm, I'm, thankful, they can be, I'm thankful they're free to do that. And, and if you don't want to be demonstrative, you're free to do that. But you need to learn to worship. Maybe you'll never cry. Maybe you'll never raise your hand. Maybe, maybe you'll never have a spell. But learn to worship God. That's what that window was for, to remind them that God was taking care of them. And I don't know any way for a person to have eternal life and the assurance of going to heaven if they do not have a personal relationship 
with the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't say church membership. I didn't say pray a prayer, sign a card. I said have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Adrian Rogers said salvation is not believing something. It is receiving someone, Jesus. If you've received Jesus, if he's the Savior and Lord of your life, you're saved. You're on the ark. You've come in through the door. You can look up at the window and worship God. That is how you're saved. And there's no other way. By the way, how many people do you think were on the earth when the flood occurred? I've heard some Bible scholars estimate that there may have been a million. Some people think there was less than a million. Some people think there might have been two or three million. How many people were saved from the flood? Eight. You say, preacher, what happened to all the rest of those people? They perished. In fact, when the flood waters started to rise and they'd been making fun of Noah for over a hundred years and they'd been making fun of his sons helping him build that ark and then they watched the animals get on board and they made fun of that and then all of a sudden Noah gets on the ark and the rain starts falling and the people aren't too worried at first. They say, well, this is unusual. We've never seen this. But then as the rain started falling and God opened up the windows of heaven and poured out that deluge from heaven and the, the fountains of the great deep came up from beneath and the water began to rise very rapidly, people began to realize there's going to be a flood. Noah was right. And they began to beat and pound on the door and say, Noah, let us in. Noah, let us in. Noah, let us in. And Noah said, I can't let you in because God shut the door. There's a lesson there. Don't you think you can get saved when you want to? The Bible said, in fact, God said this to Noah. He said, Noah, my spirit will not always strive with man. There are times when you can be saved. I don't know. I don't know had I not been saved when I was 50 years ago this July on a church youth retreat in a cornfield in Walker County. I don't know that I would have ever been saved because I would certainly have had so many chances to get saved. If I had rejected the Lord Jesus that night in that cornfield, I might be either in hell right now or on my way to hell. Don't presume that God is going to give you another chance to be saved. I don't know any way for a person to have eternal life and the assurance of going to heaven if they do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know any better book to build your life upon than the Bible. Now, the Bible is the best sold and least read book in the world today. By the way, the Bible sells more copies every year than any other book. Bible sells more copies than the Koran. Bible sells more copies than the Book of Mormon. Bible sells more copies than any other book. And yet so many people have a Bible, but they don't read it. Hebrews says this about the Bible, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the ideas and thoughts of the heart. That is what the Bible does. It reveals to us that God knows us, God made us, and God wants to redeem us if we'll just listen to the word. Notice the word is alive. It's living. The Word is alive. God not only gave the Word, He's preserved the Word, and the Word is alive. There's something in here for you. Are you studying the Word? If we're alive, we need to be studying the living Word. And then notice it's active. He said it's effective. The Word of God is effective. Now, some people say, well, I don't get anything out 
of the Word of God. I read my Bible, I just don't get anything out of it. Well, let me tell you, unless you know the author, you won't get anything out of it. The Bible is one book where you have to know the author to get anything out. In fact, you can't even understand the Bible until you're saved. Now, you can hear the message of the Bible, you can be convicted by it, but the reason you may not understand the Bible is because you've never been saved. But the Bible, to me, is the greatest book ever written. The Bible, to me, is the Word of God. It is not just a bunch of stories by people a long time ago. The Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Is the Holy Spirit of God alive? How could the Holy Spirit of God inspire a dead book? Isn't that right? The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible, and it, it's just wonderful to see how God's Spirit and God's Word works together because the Bible says of itself it's effective. And then notice it's accurate. It's sharper and penetrating. There's some things in your life that shouldn't be there. You know what the Bible's going to do? It's going to cut them out. There's some things that you need to be protected from. You need to take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and take up the shield of faith that will protect you from the fiery darts of the wicked and be a warrior for Christ. The Word of God is accurate. It describes our condition. It tells us about our salvation. It tells us what we're to do after we're saved, we're to be discipled. I don't know of any better book to build your life upon than the Bible. Now, next Sunday, if you want one of those car magnets, you're going to have to come to Sunday school. You say, who made that decision? I did. You say, why did you do that? I've been trying to get some of y'all to come to Sunday school for years, and you won't come. You say, so you think we'll come to Sunday school if you bribe us? Well, I hope you will. I really do. I mean, you know, I don't want to have to send the deacons out with guns to bring you into Sunday school. I'd probably get in trouble if I did that. But I want to tell you this. You say, well, I had a bad experience in Sunday school. You say, well, I'm having a bad experience right now in Sunday school. Well, you know what you can do? You can be an agent of change. You know, some people complain about things all the time. They complain, they complain, they complain. In fact, that, that's just what they love to do. They're just, they're born complainers. But you know, then there's people who are change agents. And, and they go into a Sunday school class, they say, well, this class is not very friendly. But you know, I'm a friendly person. I, I can change. You know a man that changed this church? Some of you know this man. Some of you never met him. man's name was Howard Kennedy. Howard came here from First Baptist Helena. He was only a member here for a couple of years. But I don't think there's been a lay person that's been a part of this church in the 35 years I've been pastor that had a bigger impact on this church and still has an impact on this church than Howard Kennedy. Now, Howard's been with the Lord a long time. But you know what Howard did? Howard would come in, he'd just go to work. He'd work in his Sunday school class. He'd work in outreach. He'd help people. He was just that kind of a guy. He was the person that said, yeah, there are things in my class that aren't right, but I'm going to work to make them right. And he did. Don't just talk about how things should be. Change them. Get active and change them. And let me say this. If you've got a good Sunday school teacher and he or she teaches you the Word of God, don't forget to say thank you every now and then. And, by the way, and don't kill them by making them do everything in the class. If they're teaching you the Word, they need time to study and pray. You can help them. You can help organize the class. You can. And you know what blesses me? When I go see somebody in the hospital and I have a hard time getting in because three or four of their Sunday school class, I just love that. 
You say, that doesn't hurt your feelings? No, not one little bit. Because you see, the Bible says all of us are to minister in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not just the preacher, not just the staff. Now, I expect us to do that. But boy, I, I see these Sunday school classes. Man. And by the way, I'll come by and pray for you in the hospital. But I ain't going to bring you nothing to eat. If I did, it'd be chilling only one, one time in 35. It might kill you. No better than I've done in the chili contest. But you're in a Sunday school class. You get to help people out. They get to help you out. You see that? You do that when you study the Bible. The third thing I don't know is I don't know of any other time that we can serve God except today. I heard a preacher talk about he got so put out with people, he'd say, I need you to teach a Sunday school class. You know what they'd tell him? Preacher, I, I'm going to get around to it. I'm going to get around to it. They never did it, but they said, I'm going to get around to it. You know what that preacher did? He went down to a metal place and had them print some coins. And they were round. And on the coin were these words, to it. And the next Sunday, he went to a fellow and said, I need you to teach a Sunday school class. And that preacher, and he told the preacher what the preacher expected. And say, he said, well, preacher, I'm going to get around to it. He said, good, here's a round to it. Teach the class next Sunday. Now, I didn't print any round to it, but I did buy some crosses that say he is risen. And I want you to come to Sunday school. In fact, it'd be good if you went today. But you say, why are you pushing next Sunday? Next Sunday's Palm Sunday. You remember what happened when Jesus rode into Jerusalem? Man, they had a crowd that welcomed them. I'd like for us to have high attendance day on Palm Sunday. And, and there's a method to my madness. Because I know on Easter Sunday, some of you are going to have company here. And you're going to say, well, I can't get up and go to Sunday school. I have to leave my company at home in bed. They'll go to church with me, but they won't go to Sunday school. And Sunday school attendance typically is down on Easter Sunday. But on Palm Sunday, there's no reason why you can't be in Sunday school. Bring guests with you. Bring your best friend. Bring your worst enemy. Bring everybody you know to Sunday school next Sunday. And we can have high attendance. I'd love for us to have over 1,000 in Sunday school again. One more time while I'm pastor of this church. And I want you to say, well, what, what about after Easter? After Easter, y'all are going to the beach. I know better than to try to have a high attendance day after Easter. But I don't know of any time that we can serve God except today. He specifies a certain day today, speaking through David after such a long time as previously stated. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You can't serve God yesterday because yesterday is gone. You can't serve God tomorrow because tomorrow may never come. You have to serve God now. I, I made a decision this week. I really did. I'm retiring. End of, end of May. I probably won't ever pastor again. If God tells me to, I will. But if, but if he wanted me to pastor, I think he told me I could stay here if he wanted me to pastor. I'll probably do interim and supply work and things like that. But I have two phrases I'm going to live by for the rest of my life. Here's the first one. The rest of my life is going to be the best of my life. I'm going to have a positive attitude. I'm going to get up every day and say, thank you, Lord. Yeah, I have bad knees, and I have some other issues that are troublesome. 
But when I got up this morning, I put my feet on the floor and I knew who I was and where I was and what I needed to do today. And I know I love my wife and she loves me and we love our children and grandchildren. And I love this church and I'll always love this church. And so the rest of my life is going to be the best of my life. And here's the second thing, and this is especially for you senior adults. I want to live more on my dreams than on my memories. I got a lot of wonderful memories, but I still have a lot of wonderful dreams. I want to see this church packed, all three services. You say, that, what if a new pastor comes in, he does that? I'll be the lead cheerleader in the cheering section for him. I'll help him every way I can. Because this is God's house. This has never been Brother Mike's church or Brother Mike's house. This is God's house and God's church. But I want to give God the very best I can today. Because I may not have tomorrow. So I don't know of any other time. And by the way, I need to say this. Some of you have not signed up to work in Vacation Bible School this year. And if you're going to be available the week of Vacation Bible School, you need to go find Jonathan Williams today and say, Jonathan, I want to work in Vacation Bible School because I'm going to tell you if you'll do, I'm going to promise you out in the future 10,000 years from now, you're going to be walking down a golden street and you're going to hear a voice behind you and they're going to say, hey, hey, you were so-and-so, and you remember at First Baptist Church Pelham, and, and, and in 2013, we had vacation Bible school, and I was a kid, never had been to church. I didn't know how to act, and, and they were about ready to kick me out of Bible school, but you were there, and you were a worker. You weren't the teacher. You didn't have your name on the door, but you loved me, and you told me to behave myself, and you told me a Bible story. And on the Sunday they presented, on the day they presented the gospel in Bible school, I got saved. And I love Jesus, and I've served Jesus all my life. And I'm in heaven because you worked in vacation. You say, preacher, that won't. Sure it will. The Bible says, blessed are the dead henceforth and forevermore that die in the Lord, for they shall rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Ron, we talked about that the other day. Your daddy's got works following him into heaven for all those years he was a faithful preacher up in the mountains. You teach a Sunday school class, Bill Dilla, honey. And there's some rowdy people in that class. And I'm coming to help you in June. The new sheriff is coming to town in the Dillahunty Sunday School class. And I want to encourage Brother Bill. He's doing a great job. Your Sunday School teacher doing a great job. Encourage them. Let them know you're grateful. Get behind them. Pray for them. Get involved in the class. We only have today to serve God. And then lastly, I don't know a better place to invest your life than in the church. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says this. It says, and let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings. And notice this, as some habitually do. There were Baptists in the day of the New Testament. They had to get on the Baptist for not coming to meetings. But encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now this is something to do. He says, and let us. He didn't say let me. He said let us. All of us need to do this. What do we do? We need to be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. 
but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's something. To, are you doing that? Are you helping in this church? Because this is God's church. It's not my church. And then something not to do. Don't stay away from our worship meeting. You know, when I read that, it appalled me. I mean, Jesus, this was the first generation of the church. These people, many of the people in the church in those days had actually seen Jesus in the flesh, and yet the writer of Hebrews says they've quit coming to Sunday meetings. Oh, what would he say about the church today? I'm going to give an illustration and I'm through. Say I was standing at the back door after the next service. The fellow comes along, he said, oh, Brother Mike, I just love you. Oh, Brother Mike, you've been my pastor, and you faithfully preached the Bible and taught the Bible. I was sick, and you came to the hospital and prayed for me. Oh, Brother Mike, I love you. He said, but Brother Mike, I want to tell you this. I can't stand your wife. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say to him what Barney Five said about Mr. Bass. You're a nut. And if I call you a nut, you better worry. Because I'm a certified Christian counselor. Linda Story, if I call somebody a nut, they come after them in a coat that ties in the back. And they will lock you in a rubber room until you decide you do love my wife. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I tell people all the time, how can you stay in one church 35 years? You have to be married to the best pastor's wife in the whole wide world. Now, you can find a better pastor. I have no doubt you will find a better pastor. Probably find a better preacher. But I want to tell you this. There's not a better pastor's wife. I mean that with all my heart. And I love her. And I'm excited about spending more time with her in retirement, seeing grandkids more often and things like that. You say, well, don't you think you and Miss Mary will get sick of one another after a few weeks? No, I don't think that's going to happen. It hadn't happened in 43 years. We still like to go places together and do things together. But you know when you tell Jesus, oh, Lord, I love you. You died on the cross for my sins. You were beaten. Your beard was plucked out. You were spat upon. They put a crown of thorns on your head. They nailed you to a cross, and you hung there for six hours, and you died for me. Lord, I love you. Lord, I just can't stand your church. I heard about a man who had a little boy. Little boy's mother had died. And this little boy was just the apple of his eye. And one day that little boy got sick. And they carried him to the hospital. And the doctors did everything they could for that little boy. But he didn't make it. That man went back to his house. And some of his friends said, we're going to help you. We're going to go into your son's room and we're going to clean out his clothes and we're going to clean out his toys and we're going to take down his picture and we're going to take down his mama's picture 
because they'll be painful for you to see. And that man said, I appreciate what you want to do. But he said, don't you touch a thing in my house. Because I love those things now. Because my son loved them. And they remind me of him. And so don't touch those things that he loved. Oh, the church is imperfect. The biggest scoundrel in the church is the pastor. You say, well, you've been honest. I have to be honest. You get up in the pulpit and lie, God will strike you dead. Happened in the New Testament. But I want to tell you this. The Bible says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. I know this new generation says, well, we like Jesus. We don't like the church so much. That shows that they're immature. That, that's, not a, that's not an indictment against the church. That's an indictment against this younger generation. For them to say, we love Jesus, but we don't love the church. It would be like you saying, we love Brother Mike, but we don't love Miss Mary. If you really love Jesus... You have to love the church because you are the church. The church is not these walls. This is the church. That's the church. And this church needs to get out there and tell people these four things. No other way to be saved. No better book. No other time than today and no better place to serve God than the church. Now let me ask you this. If it wasn't Brother Mike here preaching this morning, but it was a fellow who had on sandals and a robe and long hair and a beard, and when he preached and he stuck out his hands, you saw nail prints and you saw thorns in his brow, telling you to love the church, you think you'd listen to him more than you would me. Well, I'm telling you what he said. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. What are his commandments? Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And get this now, because I didn't get it for many years. We are to love one another as Christ loved us. That's not the same as love your neighbor. He said love your neighbor as you love yourself. But he said love one another as I have loved you. That's the mark of love. Not that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's what he told everybody to do. But he told the church, love one another as I have loved you. I don't know of any other way to be saved. I don't know of any better book to live your life by. I don't know of any other time to serve God than now. And I don't know any better way to serve the Lord than by through the church. These aren't just thoughts and theories. These are principles that need to be practiced. Let's bow together for prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Today, if you're here and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I have to tell you the flood's coming and you're not in the ark. 
you need to get in the art day. God may have brought you here to convict you today that you need Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. I can understand why you don't understand church if you're not a Christian. And you may have come today to hear the gospel and respond to Jesus today. Others of you need to be baptized. Others of you need a church home. Others of you have fallen away from your Bible study. You've fallen away from ministering to one another. You're not doing what you used to do to serve the Lord. Some of you are putting off until tomorrow what God wants you to do today, and tomorrow may never come. In just a moment, we're going to give an invitation. Any of these things affect you, you need to come and change that today with God's help. Father, speak to our hearts. Lord, I've tried the very best I know how to bring a simple but important message that there was no other way for people to be saved in the days of Noah than the ark. And there's no other way for people to be saved today than through the blood of Jesus. And Father, if there's one man, one woman, one boy, one girl here today that's not saved, let this be the day when they hear the Holy Spirit calling them to salvation. And Father, I thank you that you've already warned us that your spirit will not always strive with man. And so, Lord, I pray that we be sensitive to the Holy Spirit today. And now, Lord, bless us in this invitation. Send this message to the hearts of those who needed it the most. And may we leave here today saying we don't know these four things, but we're going to work in light of them until Jesus calls us home. For his sake we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our hymn invitation, Paula. Hymn 488. Hymn number 488. The staff's going to come and stand here at the front. We're going to give an invitation. If you're in the balcony down here in the main level, you've never been saved, I want you to come. And I want you to come and give your heart to Christ. Come and be baptized. Come be a part of the fellowship of the church. Maybe you just want to come and pray and get right with God. As we sing, you come right now. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.